Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. We are beginning today our celebration of Advent. And the purpose of this celebration, the purpose of Advent, is to prepare our hearts for Christmas, uh, for the time when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came into our world. And throughout this month, there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of excitement as we prepare our houses and really prepare ourselves for the Christmas season. You know, there are, there are presents to buy and wrap, and uh, there are, by the way, you need to get those and, and get them wrapped. Uh, there are cookies to bake and decorate. There are trees to cut down. We did that yesterday. We cut our tree down yesterday. And uh, then uh, or some of you unbox them. That's not a real tree. I mean, get real here. Uh, and then decorate them. All of these things are done in anticipation of Christmas. But, you know, through the hustle and the bustle of preparing for Christmas, we want to set aside these four Sunday mornings to prepare our hearts for Christmas, to remember, you know, what the season really is all about. Uh, to remember the, what is it, the saying, the reason for the season. And so I want these four Sunday mornings to be a time when we are able to forget all about what is going on around us and, and all that we need to do and all the things that need to be done. And really, for this time period, focus our thoughts and our attention on what Christmas is really all about. Uh, to do so through music to do so through fellowship together, to do so through the, the, the preaching of the word, and in that time period to be able to heighten, if you will, our spiritual senses about the real celebration of Christmas. You know, as I was thinking about Christmas, there are some, and as really as I was thinking about the Advent season, there are some very familiar words that are associated with Christmas and that are associated with Advent. Uh, the, the four words that probably are most associated are the words peace and joy and love and hope. And this morning, I want us really to, to focus our attention in on that last word, the word hope. You know, when you think of the word hope, especially at Christmas time, we might get a little bit confused by the meaning. You know, we say things like, boy, I hope I get this for Christmas, or I hope the family is all able to get together, uh, or whatever it is that we are hoping for at Christmas. But the biblical idea of the word hope is really the word expectation, or maybe even anticipation, a looking forward to the fulfillment of a promise. And so as we approach the Christmas season, Really, hope is at the heart of the Christmas message. A promise has been made. And, and people were looking forward to the fulfillment of a promise. And that's really what we want to look at today. When Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, it was a time to rejoice because hope had come to pass. Hope had come to fruition. God had fulfilled his promise. And so this morning, we want to go back and look at some of the promises that God made so that we could better understand the joy, the great joy 
that we find in the fulfillment of those promises here at Christmas time. You know, for the most part, as we think about things that we are waiting for to happen, for the most part, we know when they're going to occur, don't we? You know, we, we have a vacation planned, and, and it might not be till next summer, or it might not be for five years, but we have it planned, and we know exactly when it's going to happen. You know, it might, might be uh, uh, difficult to wait for that to happen, but we know when it's going to happen. We, we know when those things are going to occur. The, the waiting period, again, may seem unbearable, but we know it's, it's going to happen. But when you come to the birth of Christ, the people of Israel had been promised by God that the Messiah was going to come. They just didn't know when it was going to happen. And you know, as I think about that, as I relate that to us, we are waiting for the second coming of the Lord. We know it's going to happen. We just don't know when. You know, and even as we studied in 2 Peter uh, we, we saw that, that the timing is something that is out of our control. God has made the promise, and we're waiting for it to be fulfilled. And so as we kick off this Advent season, we want to see God making the promise to the people of Israel, the Messiah is coming, and we want to be able to see that since that promise was fulfilled, God will fulfill his promise to us as well. And so this morning, we want to look at some of the, the prophecies, some of the promises that God made about the coming Messiah and the promises which gave the people of Israel great joy and great hope. And, and so we're going to kind of take a walk through the Old Testament this morning. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. As we think about the promise of a Savior. Some of these things I've probably shared with you in the past, but the Old Testament prophets frequently spoke about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King, uh, the King of Israel. And in fact, to some degree, you need to understand that the entire Old Testament points to this event. The entire Old Testament points us to Christ. There are over 300 specific promises or prophecies made in the Old Testament to speak about the promised Messiah. And the fact of the matter is, by the way, rest assured, we're not going through all 300 today. But, but the, the fact is nearly all of them have already been fulfilled. They've already come true. There are just a few that remain that will be fulfilled in the future. Jesus Christ was all that the prophets claimed that he was, and really so much more. And these prophecies show us a sovereign God who works out his purposes over the course of history, patiently but faithfully, right down to the smallest detail. And from these prophecies or from these promises that have been fulfilled, we know that we have a God who can be trusted. We have a God that, that, that is faithful. And this is a Messiah who fulfills every hope in our heart. The first promise is 
here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and it is the promise in the Garden of Eden. And, and the verse is really being, the, 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 the statement is really being made to Satan there. It says, and I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You know, after Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden and God was coming to deal with their sin and God here in Genesis chapter 3 is dealing with the consequences of their sin, in the, the very midst of the judgment that God was passing on Adam and Eve, in the, in the midst of the consequences that he was sharing with them there, he promises them and he makes a great promise to them that there's going to be hope. There's going to be hope. Here in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 15, God makes this gracious promise assuring the Adam and Eve that, and, and really assuring Satan that one day he would bring one into this world who would deliver mankind from the dominion of sin, from the consequences of sin. Here God's telling Adam and Eve, here are the consequences of what you've just done. You know, you know the, the, the ground is not going to be very fruitful. You know, you're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to work for that. Childbirth is going to be difficult. There, there is sin is going to be a problem throughout. And in the midst of telling them about the consequences of sin, he says, there's hope. There, there's hope. I am going to bring one into this world who is going to bring an end to this conflict with Satan, to, to bring an end to this conflict with sin. He's going to crush the head of Satan. And this one born of a woman, would be our Savior, the Messiah, the one who would bring deliverance to all who would believe. You know, the truth is, folks, this is the first promise from God about the Savior. And we only got three chapters into the book, you know, and God is already promising that the Savior, the Messiah, is going to come. And this is the first promise that brings hope to the hearts of all people. Go with me further into the book of Genesis to chapter 12. In chapter 12, we see the promise to Abraham. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And notice the last phrase, and in you all the families of the earth will be what? Will be blessed. When God called Abram, we call him Abraham because God changed his name. When God called Abraham to set him apart to be the father of a great nation, God here tells Abraham that this is not, the ultimate purpose of this is not really for you and for your family and for your people alone, but the ultimate purpose is that in him, the one who's going to come from your family, all the people of the earth, all the nations of the earth, all the people of the world are going to be blessed. From the family of Abraham would come this one who would bring blessing to people from every race, from every nation, 
from every kingdom, from every tribe. And this is a reference here in Genesis chapter 12. This is a promise from God about the promised Messiah, the one who is going to come, the Savior of the world. Go on in the book of Genesis to chapter 49. In chapter 49, we see a promise being made to Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is coming to the end of his life. And in chapter 49, he has gathered his sons around him and he is he's proclaiming a prophecy. God has given him a prophecy about each one of his sons. And before he dies, uh, the Spirit of God enables him to speak prophetically of this promised Messiah. And if you notice down in verse 10, he says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, Judah is one of his sons, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Jacob here is speaking to his sons and he says, you know what, this one that has been promised to Adam and Eve, this one who's been promised to Abraham, this one who's been promised to all of us is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Judah, you are going to be the kingly tribe. You're going to be the one from whom the Messiah comes. And Shiloh is his name in this, in this passage. Shiloh is the one who is coming. He is the Messiah. So when you read verse 10 and you come to until Shiloh comes, we're talking about a person there. We're talking really about Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Messiah. And he is going to come to fulfill all this hope. What is the hope? Man, Adam and Eve blew it back in the Garden of Eden. They sinned. And because they sinned, every one of us sitting here this morning is a sinner. We all pay for that sin. And yet God said, I will bring one into the world who's going to deal with that. The promised Messiah who will take care of all sin. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel, we move on into the, the, the nation of Israel. And now we come to the, the man David, the, the man who has been placed on the throne of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David. And he tells him in verse uh, 16, we're just going to focus in on verse 16, but God is, is making a covenant with David here in chapter 7. And he says in verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And here God promises David, God assures David that his kingdom would be established forever as one of his descendants. Not that David is going to live forever. One of his descendants would rule forever, would rule eternally. And that one is Jesus Christ. That one is the promised Messiah, the Savior. Go with me now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. We're going to spend a little bit more time here in the, the promises to Isaiah. There are two great promises 
made in the book of Isaiah. And really, the, the entire book is filled with prophetic references to the Messiah. But these two that we're going to look at are the ones we're familiar with. These are the two that stand out to us. These are the two that we talk about most at Christmas time. These are, are the, maybe the two great promises of the coming Messiah, of the coming Savior of the world. Isaiah 7 verse 14 is the first one I want you to see. And again, uh, God is talking to the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah is sharing then with the nation of Israel. And he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name, and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, Isaiah 7, 14 is a direct fulfillment, is a direct prophecy, excuse me, of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to deal with the virgin birth in weeks ahead, but the virgin birth is essential because the virgin birth will produce for us a sinless Messiah, a sinless Savior. And Isaiah here says his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. God himself is going to come down and join us, if you will. God with us. What a great Great promise. Go over to chapter 9 in verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is another very familiar passage. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. These verses are a direct prophecy of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That, that this one who was born of a virgin is indeed the very Son of God in human flesh. And again, in the weeks ahead, we're going to deal with the incarnation and we're going to break this passage down a little bit more and, and look at Isaiah chapter 9 a little bit more and what the incarnation really means. But when we think about the birth of Christ, we need to understand he was born of a virgin and that was essential because that, was a, that means he was sinless. The, the sin nature is passed down to us through our fathers. Jesus Christ was the son of God. He did not have an earthly father he was the sinless Savior. And the incarnation is important to us because Jesus Christ became God with us. We're going to see in John chapter 1 that he came down to this earth and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us as he paid the price for our sin. Now I'm going to make it a little harder on you. You ready for a challenge? Find Micah. Turn to Micah chapter 5. Most of you know where Jonah is. If you find Jonah, just go one more book. If you find Matthew, back up. Put the brakes on. Micah chapter 5 is another 
very familiar prophecy that we come to at Christmas time. And here in Micah chapter 5, we read this in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You know, when God spoke through Micah, he not only revealed the location of the Messiah's birth to us, which we know is Bethlehem, but he gives us some very significant information about this coming Messiah. Here we see in this chapter, I mean this verse, he is designated to be the one to be ruler in Israel. But notice he is also everlasting. He is eternal. And, and there is no one who is eternal. There is no one who is everlasting but who? God alone. Come on now. Come on now. God alone is everlasting. God alone is eternal. All other beings have been created by God. And so here we see the, that this Messiah who is to be born in Bethlehem is the eternal God come in human flesh. So like we saw back in Isaiah, this speaks to us about the incarnation. God became man, the God-man, God in human flesh. That's what Jesus Christ was. 100% God, correct? But 100% man, the God-man. Well, let's go to the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 1. We want to see the, very briefly the promises to Mary and Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, we see the angel coming and talking to, to Mary. And, and what we see is that in the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through the prophets to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. But when the time approached for the birth of Christ to, to come, God saw the need to send angels down to this earth to reveal his truth about the coming Messiah. In the Old Testament, he used prophets. Here, right before the birth, he used angels. And, and last Christmas, we, we spoke uh, about angels, and we used the entire month to speak about the ministry of the angels, even at Christmas time. And, and the baby that was going to be born to Mary is Jesus. Look at verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He's Jesus. Jesus means what? Means Savior. You know, the, the baby is going to be the Savior. And notice he is also going to be great. He is going to be the Son of the Highest. He is the one who is going to be the promised ruler who will sit on the throne of David forever. He is, the angel says, the Son of God. The Son of God. 
You know, think about that for just a moment, folks, as we think about Christmas. And, and I love everything about Christmas. I, I love everything about Christmas. But the reality is Christmas is about Jesus Christ. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ who came down to this earth to pay the penalty for our sin. He's going to be the Savior, Christ the Lord. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So the baby who is born to Mary is going to be the Savior, the one who is going to deliver us from our sins. You know, here in Matthew chapter 1, we see that again in verse 21. Joseph was puzzled by all that was happening to Mary, the one to whom he was engaged. And we know that story. We're not going to go into depth with that. But, but what God did was, was pretty special. You know, Joseph is puzzled, and so God sends an angel to explain things to him. You know, and, and, and uh, he says to him in verse 21, and in verse 20, he says, While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. God says the baby that is going to be born to Mary is the Savior. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one who's going to deliver us from our sins. He's, been the, he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that the people of Israel have been waiting for for thousands of years. You know, these are only a few of the references that we find. A few of the promises that have been made. But specifically throughout the Old Testament, God continually reaffirmed his promise to the people of Israel. Promises that became their hope. Well, there's one more thing we want to look at. Go to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, We have that great passage which speaks to us about waiting. We've seen the promises that have been made about the coming Messiah. But the fact of the matter is, folks, thousands of years went by without that promise being fulfilled. You know, when someone makes a promise to us, we can't usually wait five minutes until, you know, let's get that promise fulfilled. Let's get that done. Here the children of Israel have been waiting over, you know, a couple thousand years. What would be some of the thoughts? <laughs> you ever had somebody make a promise to you and you wonder, have they, have they forgotten about that promise? Did, did God forget? Maybe he can't fulfill it. Maybe something happened and he's not able to fulfill his promise. You know, those are some of the same questions we saw in 2 Peter. As the false teachers were coming along to the people uh, of Peter's day saying, you know what, the, the Lord isn't coming back a second time. You know, maybe God forgot that promise. Maybe God can't do that promise. But here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, 
Paul says to us, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, when the fullness of time had come, what did God do? He fulfilled his promise. What did we look at in 2 Peter? God is always on time. You believe that? We believe that, but we don't believe it. You know, we believe that, but we wonder sometimes. God is always on. It may appear to us that he doesn't move as swiftly as we want him to, but God works, Paul says here in verse 4, in the fullness of time. God would intervene at the right time. And may I encourage you, Christ will come again at the right time. A time chosen by himself. And Jesus Christ came into this world the first time in the fullness of time. And he will come into this world the second time in the fullness of the time. And it is the fullness of the time here in Galatians chapter 4 because it was the pivotal moment in, the, in all of human history. Let me just, and I only got a couple moments left here this morning, but let me just talk to you about what made it the, the fullness of time. You know, during the conditions of, of the, the world when the Old Testament closed, during the 200 years, the last 200 years of Israel's history in the Old Testament, and then there were 400 what we call silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, many significant political and religious events occurred to bring about this fullness of time. As the Old Testament closes, as the book of Malachi closes, the nation of Israel is back in the land after the Babylonian captivity, and Persia is the dominant world power. As the Old Testament closes, Persia is on the throne. In the, the city of Jerusalem, the temple has been rebuilt. The worship of that temple is being led by a descendant of Aaron, one of the high priests is from the, 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 the tribe of uh, the, the family of Aaron. And while there wasn't a king on the throne, the people knew exactly who that king should be. He was Zerubbabel. And after the Old Testament closes, these things are in place. After the Old Testament closes, God begins to mix things up a little bit. God, in the fullness of time, began rearranging the scene of history, preparing the world for the coming of his son. So that when the book of Matthew opens, everything seems to have changed. Everything seems to have changed during those 400 silent years, if you will, when the people didn't hear from God. And they're called the silent years because the people didn't hear from God. When the New Testament opens, Rome is now the dominant world power. There's no talk about how that happened. It just happened. We see that in Daniel and we see some of those things, but, but that's what's happened. And while there is a king on the throne of, of Israel, he, his name is Herod the Great, and he is not a descendant of David. In fact, he, he's not a very nice guy at all, is he? It was the time of, of peace. It was called the, the time of the Pax Romana. And it was a time when Rome ruled the world with an iron fist. However, Rome had developed a good system of roads where travel was safer, travel was enhanced. And you know what would happen? 
later, when the, the, the apostles and the, the early church spread across the, the known world, the, 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 those roads allowed for the easier spread of the gospel message. God brought Rome into to being too for this reason. The form of capital punishment in Rome was what? Crucifixion. And the Old Testament prophets had stated that the Messiah his hands and his feet would be pierced. He'd be crucified. He'd be hung on a tree. Even though the Roman Empire had defeated the Greek Empire, the Greek language was the common language of the day. And it was the perfect language for the writing of the New Testament, for the spread of the gospel. God's hand was in all this. See, we don't always see that. Why is God allowing that person to rule? Why is God allowing this nation to? Why isn't God? God's working it all out. God's working it all out in the fullness of time. While the temple had been restored by Herod, the high priest is not from the line of Aaron. They are now buying the position of high priest, if you will. And in fact, there's another change too. There are things called synagogues. The Old Testament doesn't talk to us about synagogues. But when the New Testament opens, there are synagogues in almost every Jewish city. And they seem to be the center of Jewish life, even more so than the temple. During this time period, there's a, there's a moral vacuum throughout the empire. Pagan religion wrapped in polytheism, the Roman theism of many gods, did not provide any real satisfaction to the people. And so Judaism began to spread throughout the Roman Empire. Judaism teaching that there was only one God, teaching morality, teaching the promise of the coming Savior. And as the Jews are dispersed, synagogues are established in the major cities throughout the Roman Empire, providing an excellent forum for a man by the name of Paul, who when he goes on his missionary journeys, the first thing he does is go where? To the synagogue, giving him a platform to share the gospel message. So all of these things point to the fact that this was the perfect time. This was the time chosen by God in eternity past. God would bring his son into our world. He would be God in human flesh. He would bring hope and light to, to a dark world. He, he would offer the hope of new life. Not only for life here on this, this earth, but for eternal life in heaven. See, that's God's eternal plan. And what began in a stable in a, the little town of Bethlehem would redefine history. And it happened when? At the perfect time and at the perfect place. You know, as we continue our worship this morning, over the last few years, we've been building our, our nativity scene, if you will. And this morning, I, I want to continue that. And I want you to think about what we've talked about this morning. But th this year, I want us to think about this little manger, this little animal feeding trough. This represents for us the promise of God. Can you imagine that? The king's going to come 
and he's going to lay in this. That doesn't seem right, does it? We're going to talk about the humble birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we look at nativity scenes throughout the Christmas season, and certainly as we come here on Sunday morning and we look about at, at nativity scenes, I want you to reflect on the fact that this is our hope. This represents the promise of God that, that when Christmas comes, as you say, uh, a baby's going to lay in that, that manger. And that baby is going to be the eternal God come in human flesh. The Savior. The one we've been waiting for. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. Thank you that it was in the fullness of time. And Lord, as there are things going on in our own lives and we sometimes wonder... If, if you know what's going on, if you're in control of what's going on, help us to reflect on these promises you made in the Old Testament. Help us to reflect on the fact that you are in total control. Lord, things occur in the fullness of time. May we be encouraged by that. You are coming again. May we understand that as well. And as I think about that, Lord, as we go through this Christmas season, may we understand that you are coming again. And may we be ready for that day. Lord Jesus, you came into this world to pay the penalty of our sin. To die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray that each one here today knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if they don't, may today be their day of salvation. May they come talk to me or somebody else about what it means to be saved. How do I know for sure that I'm going to go to heaven? We can know. It's all because of what Christ did for us when he came to this earth. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church, located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.